Today our guest is an Afro-urbanist working at the intersection of black inspiration and city change, a community development professional that applies a reparations lens to her work and resides in Detroit's historic Bagley neighborhood. She serves as a mayoral appointee to the Historic District Commission and the Board of Directors for Preservation Detroit. The DDP welcomes Lauren Hood. First, <laughs> some of the stuff in that bio is inaccurate. I'm from the Bagley neighborhood. I currently live in Midtown. Okay. I no longer serve on the Historic District Commission. I'm the chair of the Planning Commission. Yes, some updates needed in the in, in the bio, but that's that's good. This is the Distinctly Detroit podcast, the only pod that explores why one wants to be in the D. I am your host, Fiona Ship III, the director of the University of Michigan Detroit Center. Join me as I interview students, scholars, leaders, and innovators about living, working, and loving in Detroit. Welcome back to the Distinctly Detroit podcast. I'm your host, Fiona Ship, and this is the only pod that explores what makes one want to be in the D. Today, our guest is a native Detroiter who received a master's degree in community development from the University of Detroit Mercy and chairs the Detroit Planning Commission. She is the founder and director of the Institute of Afro-Urbanism, which focuses on the intersection of racial justice and community planning. She is currently leading a new project, Detroit, the Detroit Thriving Index, to promote development, city planning, and philanthropy in the neighborhoods. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lauren Hood. Hi. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having welcome. me, Fiotis. Well, should I say welcome back? Yeah. <laughs> welcome. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll leave to, to that later. Good to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> so um, tell me, what inspired you to launch the Institute of Afro-Urbanism? Um, it was really after a little over a decade of working in community development and coming to the conclusion that the people that are generally leading the planning and development initiatives in black communities usually aren't black, but beyond that usually don't have a full understanding of how our lived experience might be different from theirs. Um, so it just for me illustrated a need to put culture at the forefront of what we do in black communities. It seems like it should be elementary, but surprisingly we don't do that. Okay. So why do you think black communities are not being heard when it comes to development in Detroit? Ooh, it's a lot of reasons for that. Um, hmm. I think that black folks have our own internal work to do. Um, I feel like there are circumstances beyond our control that keep a lot of us in these um, survival cycles. So sometimes we don't have the energy to get engaged, like don't have the time to get engaged, one, because you're engaged in all these activities to, you know, make sure you don't lose your house, um, trying to find work, trying to find a living wage with work. Um, so there are those factors, but sometimes we just don't have, we don't have the energy and there's intentionally a lot of information that citizens aren't giving when it comes to planning and development processes in neighborhoods. So we ask people to, to chime in, but we really aren't giving everybody all the information they need to make the best decisions. Interesting. So why is um, culture important in the development of Detroit? 
Well, again, I think it's because black people have a unique lived experience. And when you have people leading these initiatives in our neighborhoods who don't understand that experience, um, it doesn't set us up for, for the opportunity to thrive. Um, I feel like a lot of the planning and development we do right now responds to current issues, but it doesn't set us up for our, for our best future, or it doesn't set up the next generations of black folks to have good lives. Okay. So tell me, you were um, a part of the Live Six initiative. What were some of the challenges you saw there in terms of development? What was playing, <laughs> some of the things that were playing out? Well, a lot of what I just expressed. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of my yeah. key learnings from that experience, um, you know, led me to the Institute for Afro-Urbanism. Yeah. But, um, you know, what I found was that even though we are now focused on the neighborhoods in terms of planning initiatives, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in investments coming from, you know, federal government, coming from philanthropy. So there's attention, there are resources going into our neighborhoods, but they're going to the wrong, they're focusing on the wrong things. Because black folks still, we're still struggling. So why, if there are all these resources and attention, are we still struggling? Clearly we're focusing on the wrong things. Fascinating. Where should we be focusing? Well, that's what I'd like to find out. <laughs> So if it is on your list to talk about the Black Thriving Index, yes. that is the whole, whole um, yeah, that's the whole point of that. Um, it's going to be a citywide conversation that lasts over several months, but it's really to get mm -hmm. at what should we be focusing on if these things we're currently spending money on, um, you know, aren't leading to us having our, our best Wakanda life. <laughs> That's what kind of like. Okay. Well, let's uh, before we get to get into that too deep. One of the other projects you're working on, you're working with U of M on a project I on am. The crafting Democrats. That's why futures. I was late today. We had our regular Wednesday meetings. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I've been to a few of those. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but tell me about the Crafting Democratic Futures pro project and uh, how it ties into the work of reparations in the city of Detroit. So Professor Earl Lewis at U of M got a gigantic grant from the Carnegie Mellon Foundation to kind of mobilize folks across the country around reparations. So mm -hmm. I'm a part of the U of M team. So there's a Detroit fellow, me. Um, there's also one in Washtenaw County and one in Flint. But then there are other folks nationally working on this, like at Rutgers there's a team, there's a team at Spelman, um, and other universities across the country. And it really just tapped folks who were already doing reparations work and kind mm -hmm. of making us into a cohesive network so we can kind of share best practices and like grow our power. Okay. Now, one of the things I noticed uh, in the print and documentation when you want to say reparations, the repair, is like all capitalized. Yeah. So what is the significance <laughs> of that? What is your view of reparations? Well, it occurred to me at some point, like after I had already been doing some reparations activism, that at the root of the word was repair. You know, there's a lot of resistance when you say, we're going to get these reparations. A lot of people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But if you understand that really the notion of reparations is to repair harm, to repair past damage, um, I think it's an easier pill to swallow when you look at it that way. Not just a check. Yeah, it's not just a check. There's a, there's a lot of holistic goodness that comes from reparations. I think for black folks, it allows us to um, 
stop carrying this burden of shame. So I feel like I've grown up around black folks who blame other black folks for the city looking the way it does. You know how we talk about people <laughs> that we don't know, like they it looks like that because they, they just let it go. They just don't care. You know what I mean? Like we're always we blaming done. each other. We are blaming each other <laughs> for this current set of conditions. Mm -hmm. And really there are structures, policies, practices in place that got us here. Okay. So I feel like when you, the first step in reparations is acknowledgement. When you make that acknowledgement that when the government and other institutions mm -hmm. can say, no, nah, we did that to you. We can be like, oh, it's such a release that would come from, from just you know a formal acknowledgement that this shit ain't our fault. Okay. So how does uh, how does the city play a role in that? I mean, how does the city of Detroit play a role in providing reparations, or what does the city of Detroit owe black people? <laughs> well, quite a bit. <laughs> so if you. You should talk to my historian friend, Jermon Jordan, who can take you through all the street names in Detroit yeah. and tell you which one of those people own slaves. We had um, Jermon on. He's yes. Like episode four. <laughs> episode four. Also, what I learned yeah. from him was like the Detroit Free Press started out as a runaway slave um, publication. Oh, wow. So if you think about, I know that Henry Ford Hospital at a certain point in time only served black people from the basement. So if you think about not just city government, but what, what do all these other still standing institutions, institutions owe black folks? So it's not always gonna look like money, but if, if we dig into a lot of these institutions' histories, they all owe us something. Okay. So your role on the Detroit City Planning Commission, what do you do there? I'm the chair. Okay. <laughs> so what does the Detroit City What planning does the Planning Commission, commission do? do? Yeah. That is a good question, Fiotis. <laughs> well, in a time like this, we do a lot of responding to requests for like master plan amendments. So okay. developers will come to us, different neighborhood organizations that are working on projects will come to us and ask us to make an adjustment to a master plan based on some, you know, something that they want to do that isn't in yeah. line with what's permitted on that piece of property. Um, so we do a lot of responding right now, but I do believe there's something proactive we can do that we aren't necessarily taking full advantage of, and I'm trying to figure out what that is in this moment. Yeah, so one thing we're about to do is encourage the city to um, undergo a master plan process. So we're about 10 years overdue with our um, master plan process per our um, city charter. Okay. So one thing that we are engaging in now is trying to support uh, city council in their push to get the city to do a citywide master plan. And this circles back very nicely to the black thriving. So it's headed a, coming up with a master plan that can hopefully contribute yes. to thriving of black folks. Exactly. So what is <laughs> what is the black thriving look like to you? What is that all about? Well, um, so I have a working definition of black thriving and for me there are three components, three A's. Um, agency, so to what extent do you believe you have control over your own outcomes? Okay. Um, abundance, um, and I tie abundance to worthiness. Now, do you know that it's okay to, to have, to have healthy relationships, to have good mental health, to have a rewarding career? So abundance isn't just about having money, but do you know that it's, that you are worthy, do you, that you have inherent worthiness? Because so many people are stuck in survival mode, they don't know yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't know that it's okay to have, and it's something that um, 
I picked up in, in activism circles in Detroit, it's like, if you, if you do well, then people think that you're out of touch. So there's this notion that, you know, you ain't really about this life if you aren't also struggling. But, you know, I had a coach tell me once, he's like, well, you can't promote this idea of black thriving if you yourself are struggling. Like, who does your struggling serve? And I was like, you're right. <laughs> like, yeah. But I feel like there's this need to prove how, how down and authentic we are, which keeps a lot of people broke. <laughs> but I think that if, if you are black and thriving, you're, you're not about that life. Abundance is how you operate. And then the last A is going to be audacity. So can you be um, like radically black in how you show up in the world? Um, do you have the balls to ask for all the things that you really want? Um, just, you know, really being audacious in how you live your life. So if you have those, those three A's working for you, then, then you You're have thriving. some black thriving going on. But that's just my working definition. But the thriving index, is, like I said, is a several month conversation Detroit. with a bunch of black Detroiters to see, you know, what they think thriving is. I'm really intrigued to see what that scale looks like. Me too. It's going to be fun. to see by age, <laughs> thriving, mm, when and where. What it looks like, yeah, yeah. by generation. It's going to be interesting. So you uh, did a, in terms of Black Thriving, you did a Black Thriving Global Expedition to Paris. Sure did. What was that like? What, <laughs> did you see any comparables between Paris and Detroit while you were over there? Um, I think what I learned, we talked to a lot of, like African immigrants to France. Um, and I have friends locally who are immigrants from other places, African immigrants from other places, but I didn't really feel the connection until we went overseas um, to how, you know, related our experiences are being part of the African diaspora. There were so many similarities because they were talking about, they were trying to do a cultural plan for a neighborhood there called Little Africa because they said that, you know, the neighborhood is starting to develop, things are getting a little nicer, but as things get nicer, they start to lose some of the culture. And I was like, us too. So, you know, just those kind of similarities. How do we preserve what is unique and special about our culture while these places that we live in continue to develop? That was the, yeah, the main common theme. Okay. You planning any other such trips in the future? Any other? I would like to do it every year. I had kind of thought of that trip as like, that was the thing, just take this group of Detroiters, um, all who have constituents in their, you know, respective fields, and, you know, just have this one experience overseas. But I think it's going to be ongoing. So I would like to, you know, with that same group of people, go somewhere else. Okay. That's cool. And see what well, see what happens if we keep engaging and traveling and growing our our connections across the diaspora and other countries. Like what what might our worldwide network be able to accomplish? That would be really nice. Let me know <laughs> about when you plan the next trip. <laughs> I like sure. to travel. Okay, we're gonna transition now to what we call our lightning round. Pew pew. And this is where we. We ask, these are the questions, same questions we ask every guest to kind of get a catalog of their responses as they relate to the city. Cool. And the first question is, how do you practice self-care? Ooh, um, travel. I love getting out of here. Um, I love Detroit, but I have like a, 
a contract with myself that I have to get out of here every six to eight weeks. It's, it's kind of a heavy place to live if you feel like, if you feel some sort of responsibility around um, what happens here and what happens to our people, like just being here is is heavy. So I got to get out of here every six to eight weeks. That's that's one of the sure. ways I engage in self-care. Okay. What are you reading right now? Ooh. Actually, I am reading this book um, called Black Utopia. There is a professor at um, University of Detroit Mercy, my alma mater. I was about to meet with the dude, so I was like, let me read his book. Um, so his name is Alex Zamlin, and he wrote this book called Black Utopia. So I'm trying to um, get a better understanding of what that means historically. I want to know, you know, what were the factors that have contributed to these black utopias that we've had in the past? How do we recreate them? So, yeah, I'm reading his book right now. Okay. Uh, what are you listening to? Ooh. <laughs> you know that my jam right now is this song by... Um, Cousin Kanye's uh, Sunday School Choir, like yeah. whatever you may think about Cousin Kanye. <laughs> um, that that choir is badass, and there's this song called Father Stretch okay. that is just like, that's my daily anthem right now. It starts off all slow, and then by the end it's just like... <laughs> okay. Have to it's listen. just, yeah, that's my hype track right now. I haven't now. really been listening to Kanye much <laughs> lately, but I'll give it a try. What are you watching? Ooh, what am I watching? Mm, I don't know that I'm really watching anything at the moment. You know, I'm not one of those people who's super anti-TV. I'm really into my channel subscriptions. But, oh, well, I just finished watching the Kanye documentary, too. Okay. <laughs> um, which gives you a little insight into why his head might be where he's at. But, um... Yeah, which I thought was very inspirational. Like that dude knew from the very beginning that he was a genius and he was going to make it, and nobody could tell him different. Um, it's the kind of attitude you have uh, to have. That, yeah, I was into it. Mm. I'm happy. Yeah, I've been. That's on my list. That's on my list. Mm -hmm. uh, me and my wife just finished the series uh, "Becoming Anna." about the fake drumming yes. errors. Yes. It keeps coming up in my you might like list. I'm like, not yet, Netflix. And then, yeah, we watched that in just after watching The Tinder Swindler. So that was <laughs> really hilarious about what's going on out there in the world. I'm glad I'm married. So. <laughs> so, uh, where do you like to go out and eat in the city? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I love Bao Bob Fair. I haven't been in a while, but when that place first opened, I was there several times a week. <laughs> like, I kept bringing, like, different friends into that restaurant. The the owner there, Mamba, was like, should we start paying you at some point? Because literally I was there several times a week with different people. So that's one of my favorite spots. Um, I also really like Selden Standard. Okay. That's a favorite. Um, what else do I like? Because when I'm considering where I'm going to eat food, it's not just about the, the food, although their food is really good. I also am thinking about aesthetics, you know. Atmosphere is important. Yeah, where it's located, all the yeah. things. So, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Okay. And, you know, I know it's COVID and all, but when you used to go out and socialize in the city, where would you go socialize? <laughs> well, I would say it's not COVID that keeps me from socializing. It's more age. So I used to be like a hardcore partier, and I used to do a bunch of that across the street at Majestic. Okay. That was where I spent a lot of my fond drinking years, um, <laughs> amongst other things. 
But um, St. Andrews, Three Floors of Fun, I used to do a lot. Uh, yeah. But as I've gotten older, like in the post-40s, I just do a lot of eating out. Okay. okay. <laughs> and traveling. Socializing. And traveling. Hey, you know, socializing in Mexico is cool, too. <laughs> uh, if a friend of yours is coming to town to visit the city, where do they have to go? Ooh, well, it depends on the friend, probably. Um, let me think if there are some places. I would probably take them over to Dabble Spot, the Bead Museum. Okay. I think that's a stunner. I would also take them to um, see if Carlos would let me take them inside the Gallery of Metals. Have you been to Carlos Niblack no. Spot? <laughs> it's a gym. You got to Google it okay. <laughs> when we're out of here. But his Gallery of Metals is something else. Um, where else? I don't know. Maybe those two places... Those are unique. No one's mentioned those two before. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I try to think like off the radar. Yeah. Yeah. We got. We're trying to get into the Dabble Spot, the African Bead Shop. I'm trying to get in there. Uh, last question is, where can we find you? Um. Well, you can email me at Lauren at AfroUrbanism dot com. AfroUrbanism all one word dot com. All right. Cool. Well, thank you for coming out and talking with us again. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Lauren Hood, and this has been the DDP. Please <clears throat> subscribe, like, and review. Uh, we really appreciate it. You can find us anywhere you get your pods. Until next time, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Distinctly Detroit podcast. This is a production of the University of Michigan Detroit Center and you can find us anywhere you get your pods. Please rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is directed and produced by Marlon Franklin, edited by Taylor Henniger, with writing contributions by James Neely and Leah Allen. Thank you for listening.